Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. Well, I think we've already had church. We've gotten to worship together. We've got to see some wonderful baptisms. Thank you, Judy, so much for that song. But I'm still going to preach. Um, yeah, that's why we do this. Hey, I just want to thank you so much for your prayers this week. They really, really were so helpful. Uh, also, I uh, send you greetings from the churches of Maine. I was in the Maine Baptist Association's uh, annual meeting last night or yesterday, and then got uh, drove back to Boston and flew back in late last night. And so I want you to know that there are places where it actually just gets to 50. And I was tempted. I thought, you know, Lord, one more day of this, not all bad. But I understand that it's coming. Maybe not October, but it's coming. And so we're looking forward to that change. But I'm so grateful for us to be able to gather together today as we're at this final stop in the message series, Are We There Yet? And we're going to talk about detours and distractions, about how to make sure that we stay on the course that God has set in front of us, how we need to stay on the course he has set for our individual lives, for our families, but also for our church family. And so that's why it's important this Thursday for you to come and to be part of that prayer gathering from 6.30 to 7.30 here in the sanctuary. I want you to know I'm going to be praying with you, but I'm going to be praying with you from San Antonio. Uh, I'm leading a pastor wife retreat for our association. It starts on Thursday night, so I need to be there. But I will be praying with you during that hour as well. And it's a great time to get together to pray about God's blessing, His direction, and our faithfulness as we move forward together as a church family. Now, I've had somebody at one time say something like this, are you meaning that things are at the place that we have to start praying? And I just want you to know that praying is where you start at. It's not where you get to. And so we are grateful for the commitment of prayer in this church. And so we ask you to become part of what God does this Thursday night. So let's pray and ask God to give us clarity today as we talk about dealing with detours and distractions in the journey he has put us on. Father, as we are looking at your word, we pray, God, that we would listen to your heart. And that, God, that you would be able to speak freely into ours. And then, Lord, for the next few moments, that we would be very careful just to listen to you. And that, Father, that everything else that would try to clutter in or push its way forward, that, God, that instead we would just put our hearts solely in your hands to listen to you, to hear what you want to tell us. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Detours and distractions. As you read through Joshua chapter 6 and the chapters that follow, you will see multiple times there are things that were happening with the children of Israel that became detours and distractions to them achieving the things that God really wanted for them to have. And as we look at their lives, we're going to be able to have some insight for our own lives of things that we have to be careful about. 
And so we're going to be looking at the those last chapters, and I'll be referencing them as I go through in the book of Joshua. But also, a companion in tandem is Hebrews chapter 12. Because remember, in Hebrews 11, we have the roll call of faith of all these people that have been faithful. We get to Hebrews 12, and the writer reminds us of this, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're going to discover as we look in the book of Joshua that there are four core challenges that can get in the way of us being faithful to what God wants for us. And what you need to know about when you face challenges in your life is challenges that are overcome push you forward. Challenges that block you that we fail at push us back. And we're either moving forward or falling back. But the good news is God has given us the ability in Christ to keep moving Forward. And I want to be very careful just to say this as we are going into this text. And that is, I want to be clear of the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because sometimes what happens is the enemy comes and the enemy is always ready to condemn. And he wants to push us to condemnation. So we read about something that we maybe need to grow in or need to be focused on. And the enemy comes in very quickly and says, see, I told you you failed at that. I told you that was something that you should be mindful of. I told you that you'll never overcome that. And I want you to hear that that is from the devil because it's of the devil. Because the Bible says that once you become a believer and a child of God through Jesus Christ, there is now what? No condemnation. But what there is, is conviction. And the Holy Spirit will convict us of the things that we need to deal with, the things that we need to let go of, the things that we need to respond to. But conviction is to bring us to life and to hope. Condemnation is always meant to bring to shame and guilt and despair. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says that you already sit in condemnation because we are condemned because of the weight of sin. But once you accept Christ as your Savior and you embrace, embrace Him in that way, you step out of condemnation into the light of His love. And so from that point, we move forward. So I want to make sure we say that because sometimes as we talk about things that become troubling, we, we move too quickly to that old understanding of God's condemning me when reality is God is loving us and calling us forward so that we can experience the best he has for us. So there are four challenges, and the very first one is hidden sin. Hidden sin. 
Joshua 6 and 7 gives us the story of the battle of Jericho. Now, Joshua, we're told in, in Joshua 2, has already sent out some spies to go out and to look at the land that they're about to take. And two of them have come into the city of Jericho, and they go into the home of Rahab, and she hides them and protects them from the men of the city that are trying to hunt them down. And she says, we know that God has given our city over into his hand. And so we are, I want to ask you, will you save me? And they said, what we'll do is we're going to save you and your household, provided that when we come, they are in this, this home with you, and you put a scarlet thread on the outside so that we can see it. And so they come. And God gives some extraordinary instruction to Joshua at the battle of Jericho. He says, now, this is what we're going to do. I want you to take all the people, I want you to march them around the city one time, and I don't want them to say a word, and then go camp. On the second day, I want you to march them around the city, not say a word, go back to camp. The third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, march around the city, go back to the camp, don't say a word. I don't know if that might not have been the hardest part of that whole instruction. Don't say a word. But on the seventh day, on the seventh day as they march around the city, he says, you blast the ram's horn and you shout. And when they did, the Bible says, the walls fell, literally fell. But God gave them one other instruction because this was going to be known as a devoted city, a city where everything was to be devoted and sacrificed to God. It says in Joshua 6, 18, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of, of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So there's very specific instructions. God says, look, I'm going to take care of you, but you need to understand when it comes to Jericho, it's all mine. And you don't take anything. It's all devoted to destruction. It is all to be consumed. And the, the goods that are left are to be taken over and brought to me so that I can have them for the temple. And the Bible says that a great victory took place. I mean, think about it. But think, think about what it would be like to be marched around the city and seeing people looking out over you. And they marched, and they marched, and they marched. And on the seventh day, they shouted. They blew the ram's horn. The walls fell. And God did this amazing work with them. And so they are in the, the, the moment of victory. And the Bible says that they then decided, well, we'll go to this next little city that's beside Jericho, very small, by the name of Ai. And we don't all need to go because it's so small. Let's just send two or 3,000 people up there. And they did. And the people of Ai came out and whooped them. And Joshua falls on his face before God. And he's saying, what is happening? 
We just had this great victory, and now we're defeated by this very small city. But it says in Joshua 7, 1, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabda, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And Joshua's praying and asking God, what is happening? And God tells him, get up. There is sin in the camp. And so they began a process of trying to figure out who did what. Nobody came forward. So they did a process of elimination. They finally get down to the tribe of Judah. They're walking through those families. And finally, at the very end, Achan is willing to come forward and say, yes, I have sinned. In Joshua 7, 20, it says, Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak for Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Walked around six times, didn't say a word. Achan was faithful. Went that seventh time. But at that at the point where it, it mattered so much, when Achan walked into that city and he saw that spoil, he said, you know, I don't think God will miss this. I don't think this such a small thing. I mean, I can hide it on my person. I can take it to my tent. I can dig a hole. I can bury it. No one will ever know. But that choice impacted the whole community. And you see, we all have things in our life that we hope no one ever knows, don't we? I mean, haven't we all done things or, or thought things that, that we hope nobody ever knows about? It's shameful to us. But here's what you've got to know about hidden sin. God knows. And the danger about hidden sin in particular is that there is some sin that when it happens, we're very quick to, to acknowledge. Because, for instance, if you say, Hey, I have to confess that from time to time I get angry. I got news. If that's your sin, we know. <laughs> hey, I've got to confess from time to time I struggle with sharing. We know. But you see what the enemy does is he loves for us to get something into our life that we hide and that we don't want to ever have to confess out loud. Because it starts that cycle of guilt and shame and despair and the sense that I'll never be free. And if anyone ever knew about this, it would crush what they think about me. And I would not be able to be the person that I want to be in their eyes. And that's the nefarious nature of hidden sin. And Achan thought, oh, I will never, ever, ever be found out. But not only was he found out, the Bible says that the 
consequence of his choice was not just the defeat at I. The consequence of his choice was the sentence that was put upon Jericho was now put upon Achan and his whole family. Because you need to know that sin never just affects you. Sin always has a ripple effect as well. What does the Bible say in Hebrews? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, entangles us, trips us up. The Bible gives a picture of sin that sin loves to keep pace with us so that just when we think we're getting our stride, it can put its foot out to trip us. That's why it says be so careful, be so careful with hidden sin. Be so careful with sin that you're guarding in your heart, that you're treasuring in your heart when all you're supposed to treasure in your heart is Jesus. Years ago, we were talking with a group of pastors and the story that was told was about three pastors that got together and said, you know, we need to have an accountability group. And the first pastor said, well, I'll start. I just want you to know, I've got a, I, I watch movies I shouldn't watch. I know I shouldn't watch them, but I just do, and I, and I'm, I, I need God to forgive me, and I need to move forward. And one says, well, I, I, I've got to admit, you know, uh, I'm a closet drinker, and you don't know it, but boy, I'm, I'm, it's every day. And the third one looked at him and says, man, i got to get out of here. And they said, did we offend you? He goes, no. He said, my problem's gossip. And I've got to find a phone. Now, I'm going to tell you, you've got to be wise about who you talk to about things. And you have to be discerning. But if you told yourself that one day I'm going to overcome this, one day I'm going to deal with this, one day I'm going to get respond to this, one day I'm going to get victory over this, and you find yourself in a cycle where again and again and again and again and again and again and again you can't get free, then you need to build a circle a little bit bigger than just you and invite a trusted person into that conversation for accountability and for growth. Hidden sin. I don't think anyone will ever find out. I don't think anyone will ever know. Here's what you need to know. The Bible says, Jesus said, what you whisper in the secret is going to be shouted in public. Hidden sin can keep us from being focused on the things that God wants us to focus upon. The second challenge is a lack of prayer. And Joshua chapter 7, as you read through it, part of what you realize when they went and they sought to take Ai, there is no record that before they went to Ai that they asked God if they should go. There's no record of prayer. There's no record of them stopping and saying, God, Jericho was great. What's next? They just kind of thought, well, We've been victorious. We think we got the hang of this. Let's just go on. And I will tell you, you get in trouble every time you jump in front of what God wants to do and you go with just your best thought. Have you ever 
seen the consequence of just your best thought? Hasn't there been so many times where if you could have just had a 30-second tape delay between what your brain thought you ought to say and what your mouth did say, that maybe it had gone better for you at the house? There are people that say, I'm sorry, I don't have any filter. I say, I'm sorry, you don't try. I can see your words being formed in your mouth even as I'm talking. You're just ready to respond. And I will tell you, having a quick wit sometimes just makes you a dim wit. And I speak from experience. (laughs) Having a pithy comeback is not always the best answer. But God's people... God has called us to a relationship. He has called us to an intimacy. He has called us literally to be able to come before him at the throne of grace for us to be able to talk to him. I mean, literally, you know that right now we could stop and we could begin to pray and we're immediately in the throne room of heaven before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you know what the enemy says? Skip the talk, go to the walk. but you can never not pray enough. There is never so much, you can never be so busy that you don't have time to pray. And the busier you are and the more overwhelming things get, the more time we need on our face. Because it's so easy to go with our best thought instead of God's direction. A lack of prayer don't send, send everybody, just send a few. Their best guess became their first defeat. It's interesting to me, as you read through the gospel messages, time and time again, it says that Jesus went away to a desolate place to pray. It says it throughout the scripture, Luke 5, 6, it says, but Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. But it's interesting that it was so impactful that the disciples looked at him in Luke chapter 11 and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they could see what was happening with Jesus was not what was happening in them. Lord, help us learn to pray. And I just want to ask you where you are today in your journey with God in prayer. Now, I, I'm very mindful, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I pray in my vehicle. I keep uh, a set of cards I think I've told you about with every church in this association, every pastor, their wife and kids, every staff member, so that as I'm driving, I can go from church to church to church praying for them because of how much time I spend in the car. I use apps and different things to be able to keep a prayer list current and different things. But I will tell you, if you're not careful, you will always be praying as you're doing something else. And when I want my wife to know that she has my full attention, I look at her eyeball to eyeball, face to face. I don't say, don't worry, honey, I can listen to you while I watch the game because the Astros are going to clinch it. turn it off eyeball to eyeball I just want to ask you is there a regular place that you get to go meet Jesus is there a regular time 
but you're spending just you and the Lord together in his word, in prayer, where there's no other distraction. There's just a focus on knowing him. Listen, if you want to hear the still, small voice of Jesus, you've got to get still and small before him. And he wants to speak to you. Prayerlessness can get in, in our way. Another challenge is compromising choices. In Joshua 9, you'll remember there was instruction that was given to the children of Israel by Moses as they were going to go to the promised land. He said to them in Exodus 23, 32, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods, talking about the people of the land. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And we're told in Joshua 9 about one group that outwitted them, the Gibeonites. The Bible says in Joshua 9, 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. And so what they did is they put on old clothes and they took old provisions and they, they put, put uh, different water jugs and everything on their animals that make them look like they had traveled a long way. And they came to Joshua and they said, listen, we want to make peace with you. We have heard of the wonders that God has done. And Joshua asked, he said, well, are you of the people of the land? Oh, no, no, we're from far away. And Joshua 9, 14, it says, so the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore it to them. Again, they trusted their own wisdom. Listen, you might think that when you go through a battle like I and you fail to pray that you would never make that mistake again, but it's not two chapters later where they're back making decisions without talking to the one that is king. There is always this tendency in our lives to think that we understand things that we have it kind of figured out. And anytime you're at the place where you think you've got a handle on it, that is a warning to stop and ask God, is this really what I'm seeing? Is this really the way to go? Is this what you're doing? Stop long enough to ask the Lord's direction. Look in his word to hear what he has to say about it. But once again, they trusted what their eyes could see and what their minds could understand. And they made a covenant with the very nation God warned them, do not get entangled with them. And because they made that commitment, they had to live with the consequences of it. The Bible says they trusted their own wisdom to the point of a compromise that became a snare upon their life. That is the reality of those kind of choices. There's one other challenge, and that is of partial obedience. In Joshua 13 and 23, in Joshua 13 it says, now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. They took much of the land, but they didn't take it all. 
They let other things get in the way. They let covenants get in the way. They let things get in the way that they shouldn't let get in the way. And as a consequence, their partial obedience would become a snare because every nation that they left in place became a snare to their own land. Joshua 23, 6 says, Therefore be very strong to keep and do what is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of their names, of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. You see, there's two impacts when we just give partial obedience that we get in trouble with. The first is the impact in our relationships, and the second in our faithfulness. You see, the problem with the relationships is always going to be the challenge of a divided heart. See, God didn't create us to have a divided heart. He created us to have a heart solely focused on bringing Him glory and solely focused in knowing Him. But see, what they began to do is they began to intermarry. And as they began to intermarry, the issue was not about race. The issue was about culture. It was about the gods that they served, the idols that they worshiped, and the things of their expectations. Because if you think you don't get impacted by who you get married to, you've never gotten married. In 2 Corinthians 14, or excuse me, 6, 14, it says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have a righteous and a lawlessness or a fellowship has light with darkness. You see, who we give our heart to matters. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And not many times as a pastor, I would be sitting down with a couple and they would talk to me about how much in love they were with each other and how much they were ready to get married and to, and to move forward together. And I would stop and walk them through the conversation of, do you both know Jesus? Have you both given your hearts over to the Lord? And one of them might say something like, well, yes, I've been a believer since I was a small child. The other one would say, well, I'm just not sure about this God stuff, but I'm willing to listen. And I looked at them, I said, and I'm willing to meet, but not to marry you. Because if I stand before the Lord and I'm marrying you, I'm entering into a covenant with you. And I'm officiating in a covenantal relationship that the Bible clearly says should not happen until you both are believers. And there's other people that will marry you, but this pastor wants to make sure that you both know Jesus first because marriage is hard enough without a divided heart at the very beginning. And you might not think it matters right now, and you might not think there's going to be an issue, but there's going to be a day it's going to become an issue, and you're going to have a child, and then there's going to be a discussion, and then there's going to be other things that happen within your family. It's going to become a question. And I don't believe you hold people ransom so that they got to know Jesus so that they'll get married, you know, and hold them out like that. But I do believe that you have to be very careful that you don't join light with darkness. And that there be agreement. And I will tell you, most people marry people they've dated. That's why it's important in your personal relationships as a believer to say, well, who, who is the person I'm going to give my time to, that I'm going to give my heart to? Listen, you can be friends with everybody. 
But when you start talking about building your relationships and building a life together, it needs to be somebody that knows the Jesus who knows you. It is critical. And I can give you example after example after example of trauma that's happened. And once in a while, I have somebody come up to me and say something like this. Well, my wife and I, she wasn't a believer before I married her, but this is what God has done. And I will tell you, I'm always grateful for exceptions. I count on it. And if you're married right now to somebody that's not a believer, that doesn't give you a way to go away. This is not your escape clause. You're married to them. The Bible says that you are to love them and that you are to honor them and you're to walk with them in peace and that you are to be the shining example of Jesus to their life and that God willing, one day they'll say yes to Jesus. But it matters. And when we are partial in our obedience, there's always a consequence. It impacts on our faithfulness, it impacts in our relationships, but it also impacts our faithfulness. It's a challenge of an uncertain heart because idolatry is always at the door. Now, for the children of Israel, idolatry would have been found in Asherah or Baal or Moloch, but you know, there's still idolatry today. Idolatry or an idol is anything that stands between you and God and receives the focus of your heart. Where you tell God, well, you know, that's fine and good, but I'd rather focus here. I'd rather be, I'd rather pay attention over there. I thought about that in March when I was seeing the congressional hearings of the company TikTok. I'm not huge on social media. Some of you probably figured that out. I mean, I posted on Facebook when I had my 40th anniversary. I had more people respond to that because they said, we thought you might be dead. But, you know, because, I mean, but, but anyway, I just, I'm just not big on it. But you know that there's 150 million Americans that participate in TikTok. The average adult that participates gives 50 minutes a day on the app. The average student gives 90 minutes a day. Now, I will tell you, if you're spending 50 minutes a day in Bible study and prayer, and then you want to go do TikTok, knock it out. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing that an app on a phone is getting more time than Jesus is. And you know, I began to question whether or not that was even real because as I was reading that statistic, and then when we landed about 8.30 last night and we were sitting down, I realized how many people's phones around me lit up and the first thing they did was they were starting to look at videos. I'm thinking this explains so much why it takes so long to get off a plane. <laughs> but it impacts our faithfulness, whether it's social media, sports, work, or hobbies, anything that stands between us knowing and loving and serving God will keep us from experiencing His best in our life. Now, I don't know where you are today. I, I don't know what has ha been happening with you, but I believe that all of us at times deal with things like hidden sin and partial obedience and, and deal with things that, that keep us from experiencing the very best God has for us. And I, 
I just want to reiterate again, the purpose of this message was not in any way to make someone feel condemned, but it could be the Lord has convicted you that there is a matter that you need to deal with. And you can do that right where you sit. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to have prayer team members here if you want to be able to pray with somebody. But can I just do a little family time with you right where you're sitting? Would you bow your heads with me? And I just ask you, as you have spent this time today and you have been in God's Word and you have been asking God about, am I dealing with hidden sin or a lack of prayer or compromising choices or being partial in my obedience? Can we take just a moment and you quietly, in your heart, before the Lord, in His throne room, just tell the Lord what you're thinking in response to what he's saying to you. Just take this moment. Now, Lord, almost everybody in this room Every one of us is, I'm I'm guessing, is probably one of your children. And Lord, as we listened today and we heard about the idea of partial obedience or hidden sin or compromising choices, lack of prayer, there were some, some lights that went off in our heart. And we realized, Lord, here's something you've been talking to me about. And today, I have the opportunity to deal with it. And I pray, God, that you would give them, give them the heart to say, okay, Father, here I am. I want to deal with this today. So, Father, I pray that the prayer that they prayed, the heart that they opened to you, would have the power and the presence of Jesus poured into their life. That, Lord, that you would free them. That, Lord, that you would show them how much you love them and how much you want them to take that next step with you and to to grow in you and to know you more deeply. And I pray, God, that you would give them the ability to be able to share appropriately, whether that's with a close family member or a friend or one of the ministers, and just to... just to solidify that choice. But Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that there is now no condemnation for those that are found in Christ Jesus. But Father, if there is somebody that is here and they don't know Jesus, I pray today they would come and that they would let us help them meet the Savior of the world. Father, we belong to you. And we thank you that you love your children well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.